Good morning, friends and family of Oceanside Sanctuary. My name is Travis Arms. I'm a Disciples of Christ minister, a Navy chaplain, and a member at Oceanside Sanctuary, where I'm honored to uh, speak to you today, wherever you might be right now. At Oceanside, we have been exploring Jesus's teachings as the gospel according to Matthew has them all contained there in a sermon Jesus preached on a hillside, uh, a mount, you might say. And so we refer to the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we have reached chapter 7, where we read the first five uh, verses as follows. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. I feel lucky to have this text this morning. It's a, a really simple message. Author Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Though it is a simple message from Jesus, like much of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, it is not easy. For starters, like anger or lust or a desire to get even or a tendency to worry, our tendency to criticize is a pretty natural response to certain stimuli. But as Jesus taught, and as Jason and Alex explored over the past several weeks, it isn't our natural predispositions so much as our prideful yearning for self-aggrandizement and control that puts us at odds with God's will and Jesus' example. If we look back through the, the Jewish writings, as we flip toward the beginning of the Bible, we find an entire book called Judges. This interesting piece of Jewish history is not about men in powder wigs deciding court cases like the people of Israel versus the five lords of the Philistines. It contains way more interesting stories than some Judge Judy episodes, and I think would make uh, for some great TV with tales of conquering military generals, sneaky assassins, and ridiculously strong bodybuilder who defeated a gazillion bad guys. In Israelite uh, history, the role of the judges, both the women and the men who served as such, was to be the charismatic leader, to deliver the Israelites from the hand of their enemies, out of the power of those who plundered them. As a so-called judge, the responsibility during the time between Joshua and the kings was to lead the people. Many years later, the prophets did this too in a much different way, or at least they tried to, by guiding God's people to turn from injustice, to act justly, to care for the oppressed and vulnerable, and to walk humbly. Before the era of the prophets, and the era of the kings, and before the judges, and before Joshua, Moses, as the leader of God's people, is taxed with judging the people. Individuals are bringing their interpersonal disputes before Moses so that he may teach them God's statutes. And Moses is spending all day long arbitrating. His father-in-law notices he's going to burn himself out and encourages Moses to recruit some help to bear that burden. 
And then Solomon, as the wise king par excellence, acts as an arbiter and judge for the people, declaring in his God-given wisdom what is right and proper for God's people. With this history, it's inaccurate to say there is no biblical precedent or place for God's people to judge one another. But it is an important matter of context. Judging was, for the kings, a royal function, and for Moses, uh, a burdensome role. And for the judges and prophets, an elevated disposition of responsibility and truth-telling and leadership. The end state of their legal and interpersonal and prophetic declarations was not to disparage anyone, but to lead God's people and make known to them the way they were to go and the things they were to do. Why is it that we judge others? Jesus knows we do. We aren't that different from Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago. It usually isn't about the other, is it? We tend to criticize and condemn not for that person's edification or restoration, to guide them on a better path, but to make us feel better about ourselves. Judging takes some different forms in our day-to-day -day life. There's the thoughts we usually keep to ourselves and, and try not to show on our face, like, what is that person wearing? Or where did they learn to drive? Or is that person in trouble or just dancing? These are the stimulus and response type of judgments that we almost can't help. They're generally victimless and harmless when restrained and not vocalized, especially in the earshot of a subject. But constant judgmental thoughts are, are not entirely victimless, victimless or harmless. Consider, if you are always seeing others through some lens, measuring them up to align with your particular sense of style or taste or moral compass, and you find that so many people don't measure up to who you expect or wish they would be, well, you're going to be disappointed a lot. People are different. They aren't all like you. Not everyone thinks like you do or shares your preferences or follows your moral code, and that is okay. In your air of pride and holier, prettier, cooler, smarter-than-thou swagger, you might someday realize that you aren't seeing God's people the way God sees God's people. Having a default, consistent, judgmental attitude towards others is ultimately damaging to ourselves. It's like the quote about resentment, which is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. I'm not certain who said that. Uh, Google cited St. Augustine, Buddha, Nelson Mandela, and Carrie Fisher, so pick your sage, I guess. Uh, the point is, passing judgment, like holding on to resentment, as good as it might make you feel in the moment, is ultimately not good for you. Openly judging, directly condemning and disparaging another, whether to their face or to their Facebook, strains and damages a relationship on a, a different level. No one likes to be uh, criticized. And sure, there is a, a time and a place for constructive criticism. That's how we get better. When instead of a laissez-faire attitude, someone we know and trust helps us develop and improve by helping us course correct and refine the dross. There's nothing wrong with that. I would say that while preaching a probable imminent destruction, the criticisms of God's prophets 
including John the Baptist and uh, Jesus, were inherently constructive, not destructive. The prophets called the people to live up to be the people and community God called them and expected them to be. And that's the temptation and danger today when Christians who believe themselves to be well-meaning and who probably are more partial to imagining God as a judge than a loving parent assume a blunt prophetic edge and condemn and judge and disparage. When there is no previous relationship between the parties, the net effect of Christians' loud cries for strangers to repent is likely counterproductive. Think of the the sign-wielding picketer on the street or the, the preacher haphazardly blasting a crowd, hoping someone might feel the pangs of conviction and repent. Instead of drawing individuals to God's grace and realm and family, so many are repelled by the message, you are not good enough. God doesn't love you. Turn from your sins or burn in hell. And who would want to be a part of a community preoccupied with making everyone feel terrible all the time? I don't blame those who think that that is what it means to call themselves Christians. Well, then I don't want to join that group of haters. Polls have shown that when non-Christians characterize Christians, the most common identifiers on their list are judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, old-fashioned, and insensitive. Can you imagine how different our witness to the world would be if those outside our fold knew Christians and a Christianity that bore the fruits of the Spirit? And when asked, what is a Christian like? Uh, They recognize Christians by their love, their joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we Christians have a habit and tendency to judge with disparity and condemnation so much that that becomes our identity, then we damage our witness. We must remember that the gospel of the reign of God is about good news for the world not potential bad news that those who don't fit our idea of God's special people are doomed and damned. When we who bear the name of Christ disparage and condemn and tear down others, we muddy our perspective and we damage our witness. It isn't good for us and it isn't good for whomever we're judging to judge. But we tell ourselves otherwise. We recall the epistle of James, where we read in chapter 5, verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back uh, and is uh, brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That sounds pretty good. Saving a sinner's soul from death? Is that our motive? And shouldn't sinners within our Christian community be held accountable? Well, sure, there is a time and a place for going to a brother or sister in love and calling a sin a sin. But don't be surprised if that strains the relationship a bit. And don't be surprised if that person has Matthew 7 memorized. Non-Christians, once Christians, wayward Christians, they really like Jesus' teaching here on judgment. Because if we shouldn't judge one another, it almost sounds like we shouldn't be held accountable for our actions. That isn't the point. That isn't what Jesus was saying. 
There's a great story you recall from John chapter 8 when a woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus in the temple. They remind Jesus the law commands that she be stoned and ask Jesus what he thinks should happen. Jesus brilliantly answers, Sure, go ahead. Any of you that hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. When all the accusers leave, Jesus tells her, No one, including me, condemns you. Go, sin no more. There can be accountability and repentance without hatred and vitriol and haughtiness. Our tendency towards self-aggrandizement and uh, our supposed role as heralds and defenders of right living may prompt us to pick up stones. Before we cast them, we would do well to revisit Jesus' encounter with the adulteress and his Sermon on the Mount and be reminded that we are not without sin ourselves. And we are not capable of removing the, the sawdust from a neighbor's eye if we're blinded by the giant sequoia stuck in our own eye. It is fitting that we address this text this morning on Halloween, when mostly young folks are, are trading the spit shield style of masks for doge heads and sheets with eyes cut out and zombie face masks. Because uh, if you trick or treat in regular clothes, you're, you're really just begging. Uh, you may know that the, the hypocrite in Greek times was an actor, one who wore a mask in a staged drama in the performance of his duties to play someone other than himself. Jesus denounced the hypocrites. He had words for the hypocrites, not the actual mask-wearing uh, actors, but the Pharisees and the religious folk who thought so highly of themselves but were really two-faced, whitewashed tombs and half-clean cups. Jesus tells a powerful parable uh, we read in, in Luke chapter 18 about a, a hypocritical Pharisee and a tax collector who both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee thanks God in his prayer that he is not like all the sinners, the thieves, the adulterers, and that, that tax collector over there. Meanwhile, the tax collector prays for mercy, his eyes cast downward, beating his breast. And the repentant sinner not the self-righteous hypocrite, walked away justified, because all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus' words are convicting and challenging and cautionary. It resembles his teaching on forgiveness and the model prayer he gave earlier in this sermon. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. If you don't forgive others, how do you expect to be forgiven? Well, there's plenty of reason to, to keep our condemning comments to ourselves and release ourselves from the burden and role of judge, which we don't have to be. Evangelist Billy Graham once said, It's God's job to judge, the Spirit's job to convict, and it is my job to love. I love that quote, and I love that attitude, and that freedom from feeling like I have to convict anyone. And just a little later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching on judging others is echoed in what we call the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That is such a simple ethic, such an obvious principle. 
But like much of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it is not often easy to live in the way of Jesus according to his example and his teachings. We have to forfeit our selfish interests, our pride, our wayward desires and uncontrolled passions. So we pray, pray for conviction, not for others, for their sins, but for ourselves. And we pray for strength, not the strength to bully others into submission or repentance, but the strength to be honest with ourselves. And we pray with thanksgiving for God's grace, grace for ourselves, grace for our brothers and sisters, and grace for the world God desires to save. We pray with me. Our God, we thank you for being a forgiving God, for being a patient God, for being a just God, and also a merciful God, for being a, a loving God, for being a God who is present and there for us. We see all these qualities in Jesus in the way that he ministered uh, to others, including all of those individuals that the people around him would judge and deem unworthy. But we see in Jesus' life an example that all are worthy, that no one is outside the realm of your love or your family. And so, God, may we be inspired and challenged by the life and teachings of Jesus to go and do likewise. That in the way that we love and forgive and are, are patient uh, with others, that they may see and know what the realm of God is like. Son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Pastor Jason here. Before we wrap up our service today, I just have a few announcements for you. So would you just hold on with me a few more minutes because we have some really important things coming up that I want you to know about. The first is, of course, if you are new, if this is your first or maybe your second time joining us for our Sunday services online, we'd really love to get to know you. We'd love to connect with you. And you can do that very easily by just going to our website, oceansidesanctuary.org forward slash contact. If you go to that contact page, you'll find an opportunity to put in your name, your contact information, and then let us know what your interests are, how you'd like to get plugged in to our community at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Increasingly, we are a church that is not just full of members from Oceanside, California, but people who are all over the country. And there are lots of ways for you to get connected and we'd love to help you do that. The second thing I would love for you guys to know about is our book club is coming up on November 4th. Our book club is a group who read a new book every month. They gather the first Thursday of every month. So that's coming up on November 4th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And they gather on Zoom. So again, no matter where you are, you can join with the book club. This month, they are reading a book called See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love written by Valerie Cower. This is a, a very worthwhile book for you to jump into, but that is coming up quick. So if it's too late for you to jump on board with this month's book club, I wanna encourage you to go to the website, oceansidesanctuary.org and just go to the calendar and you can look ahead on the first Thursday of every month and you can see the books 
that the book club has chosen for all the way through the end of next spring. And then you can get a head start and join with them anytime you like. It's a great group of people. They always have amazing conversations about the books they're reading. The next thing I really want you to know about is really important to our congregation. We have a community action meeting coming up on November 9th. That's a Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And this is a gathering sponsored by our Justice Works team. This is a group of people in our congregation who have committed themselves to organizing around important local issues and to press for important policy changes. And this meeting coming up on November 9th is very important. Our team has decided for the past year or so to focus on trying to persuade the Oceanside Police Department to adopt an enforceable de-escalation policy. We found that this is a policy change that's very small, very easy to make, and it actually protects everybody in the community. It makes interactions with the police safer for the people that they're interacting with and actually safer for police themselves. And so we are gonna be meeting with o OPD Chief Fred Armijo who has been generous enough to give us his time on Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Now this is a meeting that you can attend either in person right here in Oceanside at our, our uh, church building on the corner of Freeman and Topeka, or if you can't make it in person, you can also attend online. So again, go to our website, oceansidesanctuary.org, go to the calendar page, and just look up November 9th and you'll see the event listing there. And if you'd like to attend in person, please RSVP because seating here, of course, is limited. Or if you'd like to attend online via Zoom, then you'll see a separate link to RSVP and then you'll get a Zoom link so that you can attend there so that we can rally around this cause and hopefully advance uh, this particular policy in a positive direction. And the next thing I wanna uh, share with you that's coming up is exciting. This is our anniversary Sunday. Our church is going to be 146 years old on November 14th. That's the Sunday that we've chosen to mark the occasion. We have been around since uh, November of 1875 when 13 people gathered in a one-room schoolhouse in San Luis Rey Valley and they started what was then called the Christian Church at San Luis Rey. And our church has been around ever since operating continuously. We're one of the oldest continuously operating Protestant congregations in San Diego County. And we would like to mark that occasion on a Sunday, November 14th, with a special Sunday service. We'd love for you guys to come. We're gonna have birthday cake for the church. We're gonna have some games and some prizes. We're gonna have a lot of fun with this event. We'd love to have you there. If you haven't been here in person for a while because of the pandemic and the lockdown, things are getting better. The Delta virus is receding quickly. Uh, more and more people have had their vaccinations. People here at our church have had their vaccinations. We'd love to see you come and enjoy this particular event as we celebrate our church's birthday. Related to that, on that day, we're gonna be giving away some of our thank you gifts at the Oceanside Sanctuary for people who have made contributions to our church, who've signed up to be monthly uh, members, monthly supporters here at the church. You might've noticed it's a little chilly in my office today. So I'm wearing my Oceanside Sanctuary cap. This is one of our new beanies. This is one of the gifts that we are giving away to those who have become monthly supporters. That cap comes in two colors. This is the other color. And of course we also this year have a second gift and that's the Oceanside Sanctuary mug. We have two of these, one comes in black, 
One comes in white. And then the third gift that we're giving to those of you who have become monthly supporters is our music minister, Joey Pearson's latest CD called A Place at the Table Full of His Original Songs. So for those of you who have signed up to, to contribute to our church and support our congregation on a month-to-month -month basis, these are our thank you gifts. And on that Sunday, November 14th, our anniversary Sunday, we're gonna be giving those gifts out. So be sure to come. We're gonna have a bag with your name on it. We'll have your gifts in that bag. And for those of you who haven't yet signed up to be supporting members, it's not too late. You can always go to oceansidesanctuary.org forward slash membership. And there you'll find an opportunity to sign up to become a monthly supporting member of the Oceanside Sanctuary. And if you're able to do that, then we'll have a gift for you on November 14th as well. That's all I have for you guys today. It's been good to gather with you here on YouTube and Facebook. You guys have a wonderful day and a blessed week. And we can't see you see, wait to see you guys again soon. Take care.